0: Welcome back to another Renewed Church Leaders podcast. This is episode 6, titled, What is Progressive Christianity, and Why Does It Seem So Appealing? Many people are being drawn to progressive Christianity. They believe it is a less judgmental, more tolerant approach to the Bible. But we believe that it's somewhat of an illusion that actually undermines genuine Christianity. Let's listen in while Bobby discusses this crucial topic with David Young and David Hunziker.
1: Well, I'd like to welcome everyone. I'm really pleased to have you all joining us. I'm very pleased to be talking about the topic we're going to be talking about tonight, and especially with two guests that I think have a lot to share with us tonight. My name is Bobby Harrington, and I'm the executive director of Renew Network, or Renew.org. And uh, Renew is a network of people and leaders and churches, churches, Multi ethnic, multinational, where we are focused on Jesus' teachings for disciples and disciple making. And so tonight we have the privilege of talking about one of the big dangers out there for those of us who want to champion Jesus' teachings, and that is progressive Christianity. So tonight we're going to talk about what it is and why it's a danger to those who uphold the teaching of Jesus in the Bible. And by the way, when we describe the teaching of Jesus, we're talking about the inspiration and authority of the whole Bible. So I'd like to begin by introducing first David Hunziger. In fact, David, if you can come on and uh, tell us a little bit about what you do, uh, where you're doing it at, and a little bit about your background.
0: Hey, Bobby, thank you for having me. And uh I'm at the North Boulevard West Campus. So North Boulevard Church of Christ has gone multi-site and I get the privilege of serving at the the West Campus planted four years ago uh, with Glenn Robb. And a part of that campus work, I spend a lot of times in groups, Uh, use the discovery Bible study method that Alex Absalom mentioned earlier. So just a quick plug for that webinar that was on earlier today and uh, get to see things really develop in people's lives, faith born in people in those kind of groups. That's our focus. Uh, we want to see people obedient to the scriptures as they read them, uh, discovering who God is. And so, more on more on that, I'm sure will come up later. Currently, uh, just to catch you up on who who I am, I'm married to the beautiful Kristen, and we have three uh, three kids three a uh, four, three, and one year old. So things are always a little bit hectic and busy around the house. Um, and you know, I went to Harding University to study Bible. at a, an itch for that, actually more than an itch, a desire to do that since I was a child, uh, to study, to teach people, and I graduated and found out just the year after graduating that I was up against a culture that wasn't super receptive uh, to the message and that needed a needed a, an understanding, a kind of a step back to, to gather what it is that we're going to go forward and, and proclaim. I uh, faced a lot of fear there. I'll come back to that a little later to kind of show how I, how I reconciled that, what I did about it. but. Uh, Yep, currently at the the West Campus of North Boulevard.
1: Well, David, thank you so much for sharing even what you've shared already, and we will come back to that uh, because I'm just so grateful that you're willing to come on and talk about these issues, talk about from your perspective and your experience, because uh, I think one of the things, as I mentioned to you as we were preparing, is that some of us need to listen a little more closely to some of the legitimate concerns that some of the folks are expressing uh, from your generation or from your background, and not just write them off as uh, younger millennials who don't care about truth and things like that. So, uh, we want to have an opportunity to kind of dive in and see what it is that's really going on, uh, both sympathetically and critically. So, thanks for joining us. Uh, absolutely. David, you. David, David Young, can you jump in? And I'm going to put you on the spot uh, because you're my friend and I know that you're pretty much a humble guy. I'm going to ask you to tell us a little bit about your education and your background as we begin.
2: Okay, well, uh, so our, David and I work together at the same church, and um, I can tell you that uh, David Hunziker is an absolute winner, by the way. He's a fantastic guy. a He's a he's a great minister and he's also a really really fine preacher. We got we got our eye on him for a lot of things. Um, so I grew up. Um, well, I'll just say this. So I ended up doing a, a a couple of master's degrees in New Testament, and then finished a doctor of philosophy in New Testament from Vanderbilt in 1994. And I uh, taught. I was teaching at the time at Lipscomb University, and also was teaching. Um, I would have, have like, teaching appointments, um, and I at some point decided that really wasn't who I wanted to be, that I preferred to do ministry, and so I took the um, senior pastor, senior minister role at at North Boulevard Church, and I've been there for 21 years.
1: Oh, that's great. That's great, David. So um, what we want to do is I want to draw on your experience um, as somebody who's been educated at the highest levels and uh, not only at the highest levels, but in an environment that is kind of the fruit of progressive Christianity. So before we jump into that, though, uh, one of the things we wanted to do is to define what is progressive Christianity. So we have some slides. We're going to put them on the screen. I'm going to ask Jason, who's in the background with us tonight, Jason Henderson, uh, Director of Operations here at Renew Network, And uh, let's just talk through each of these. Uh, They are taken from a blog that Alicia Childers wrote, oh, uh, a little over a year ago that went viral. We're talking 100,000 people uh, read this because so many folks found it to be a great summary description of what's going on in so many places. So let's go through each one of these. I'm going to read the heading there, David, and then as we go through, if you don't mind starting, um, da- uh, by the way, I better say, since you're both Davids, uh, David Young and David Hunziger, uh I'll, I'll just go one after the other. So uh, David Young, if you'll start off with me, I'm just going to walk through these pretty quickly, but uh, let's make sure we understand what's really going on. So the first is, there is a lowered view of the Bible. Uh, David, do you want to talk through some of those bullet points there and,
2: and some observations you've had about it? Um, yeah, actually, um, this is probably one of the. Uh, so, you know, when you talk about progressive Christianity or uh, theological liberalism or what, whatever lab, label that you want to use, um, this is really kind of the dividing point. This is the point where it becomes most obvious that there's a, a difference between progressivism and say orthodoxy or conservatism or evangelicalism oftentimes in the u.s it's evangelicalism although that's not really a worldwide category um not at least the way we use it and 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 where you most see it i think one of the first indications that uh, a person or a church or an organization is um is sort of on the left side will be what they what they say about the bible and so you'll hear things along the lines of the bible is is not from God, but it's a book by humans expressing their experience of God. Or um, oftentimes you'll hear comments. uh, So um, uh, Elise has has kind of listed some of the things you'll hear, but you know, the apostle Paul, uh, I know what he said about this, but what did Jesus say about it? Uh, And the assumption is that, you know, you really can't depend upon Paul, but you can depend upon Luke who wrote about Jesus, or you can depend upon Matthew who wrote about Jesus. You'll hear uh, that. So, her forth from the Bible condones immorality. Uh, so, we're obligated to reject what it says in certain places, or the Bible contains the word of God. Um, I guess if if I'm really trying to define it, what what progressive thinking generally does is it subjects the scriptures to our sensitivities, to what we to what we feel like we know must be true. And so, for a progressive, when they'll when they pick up the Bible, um, you know they'll be inspired by lots of the sections of the Scripture, and um, certainly some of the elements of the Bible will have a lot of authority for them. Language about the kingdom of God or about the grace of God, um, or some of the justice language, especially the Hebrew prophets. But at the same time, it, it's real obvious that progressives are willing to um, to downplay scriptures that don't really fit into, especially 21st century. And I don't mean this to be ugly, but 21st century, it sort of elite sensibilities. And so there's just kind of a lower view of the scriptures. And that's again, that's to me, that's, that's where you first begin to re- realize something's at work here, something different's happening.
1: Oh, that's good. Okay, let's go to the next sign. Feelings are emphasized over facts. So again,
2: David Young, I'll turn to you uh well, again, because um, progressivism generally is looking for its authority and uh, sort of the the sensibilities the um the the experience of authenticity progressives are 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 looking for sort of a um, a self-authenticating view of reality where the highest good tends to be... Um, you know, self-actualization or am I finding out who I really am and then living authentically to that, then something like the Bible, really regardless of what the Bible says, is going to get in the way. And so what you'll begin to see is that um, there'll be these feelings such as, you know, uh, um, she gives these three. um, This verse just doesn't resonate with me. And again, what's being said essentially is that it can't be true if I don't feel like it's true. Or, and this is actually a kind of a um a pretty common one you know I, I suddenly i realize that i have a family member who's same-sex attracted or i have a, a really good friend and i discover they're no you know they're no worse than i am and uh you know whatever problems they have in their life i've got an equal number of problems in my life and so it, it just can't be the case we reason at least it can't be the case that there's something wrong with them uh, because they're no different from me really and um, again, our sensibilities about that are just violated by what scriptures actually say. And so you'll just see that scriptures have to be downplayed. Um, this, this last one on hell is, is similar to that, that once we've sort of uh, given a 21st century kind of inclusive and maybe even indulgent definition to the word love, then we, we can't conceive that God would actually do something that God considers a just thing to do. And most of the world would consider just, but our feelings won't allow us to do that. And so we end up either having to reinterpret scripture or, um, you know, we'll play some sort of a kind of a game with the scripture that it doesn't mean what it says, or it might've meant this then, but now we know better. Or you'll hear this said the trajectory of scripture leads you to a new place and a better place. And all of those really, at the end of the day, they're efforts to say that whatever we feel to be true, um, that's what's true. And um, and, 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 um, in that world, you just don't really need much of the Bible. No, that's good. I think good. that was a long answer. Sorry. Okay. Uh, number three. Is, I'll go quicker. Central uh, <laughs> yeah, okay. Christian Doctrine is open for reinterpretation. Yeah. So um, this has to do with several things. Again, a lot of it has to do with uh, feelings and with that need for authenticity. But also um, there's a real hunger. And all of us have this hunger. I have this hunger as well. But there's a real hunger to fit culturally. Um, Uh, you know, there's always pressure for everyone to fit in culturally. It's obvious with teenagers. It's a little more subtle with adults, but we adults have, we crave um, uh, conformity as well. And so, you know, if it seems a little unscientific to talk about a resurrection from the dead, or if it, if it seems that, um, you know, it's a violation of the spirit of the age to talk about sexual purity or sexual holiness, then we, we just can't get our minds around. We just can't accept it. And so what we end up doing is using the same language, uh, but then but shifting its meanings. And actually, you, you'll hear this a lot, I think, with progressive uh, pastors and ministers and leaders, is they'll, they'll use a lot of biblical language, but behind the language, they, they really mean something quite different than what the uh, authors of Scripture meant and what historic Christianity has meant by the terms. That's I should true. mention this. Thomas Oden, who passed away just not long ago, Uh, was a a brilliant theologian who um, started out as a progressive and ended up founding what he called paleo-orthodoxy, which is orthodoxy built upon the first several centuries of Christianity. And Odin made the remark in his biography, his autobiography that he wrote not not long before he died, that when he was teaching at a um, left-leaning university, he was required to say the creeds, but he said, when I said them, I never meant what they said. And I would find ways of importing new meanings to the words so that I could still look Orthodox while inside I was giving myself a pass that I was not going to be Orthodox. And that's, that actually happens quite a bit.
1: All right. So uh, the historic terms
2: are redefined. It's kind of what you've been talking about. That's right. So a big one is love. Uh, um, You know, uh, love has to be the heartbeat of the Christian faith. God is love. And the first two commands are commands about love, but it needs to be love rightly defined. And So if we, if we allow, um, you know, sort of a, a, um, a, a 21st century definition of love to be taken back into the imported back into historic Christianity or Orthodox Christianity, or biblical Christianity, we may end up with something quite different than what the scriptures mean, what Christian faith means. So love in the Bible means putting the needs of others first. But love in 21st century means accepting or embracing whatever a person wants you to accept and embrace. That's not biblical love. It's not really Christian love. At the end of the day, it's not really love. If you think about someone who's uh, got a meth addiction, for example, is it really loving to ex- accept their addiction? Um, or, uh, I mean, we could think of worse examples. Uh, I was just recently reading a website of a church that said, we accept everybody as is. And I don't mean this to be ugly, but I, I wondered to myself, would you accept a pedophile as is? Would you accept them at your table? And I'm pretty sure they wouldn't. Um, I'm also pretty sure they wouldn't accept um, people who are way too far to the right either, which, by the way, I'm not suggesting you should, but I am saying that that definition of love is ultimately even they don't mean it, even they don't mean that. No, that's good. Okay, and number five. Uh, Heart of the Gospel message shifts from sin and redemption to social justice. You know, we have to be really careful here um, because, first of all, one of the chief concerns of Scripture is justice. And it's uh, certainly the, one of the high points of the Hebrew scriptures. And uh, Jesus was big on justice and Christians must be big on justice. And in addition to this, um, Christians historically have always been at the leading edge of justice. And I know there's some objections to this that say, yeah, but weren't Christians um, racist and weren't Christians involved in slave trade? And the answer is of yes. And in fact, Christianity has, has done some really horrible things. Christians have, but, The beauty of the Christian faith is it's self-correcting. It tends to be self-correcting. So though they were Christians who who were slave owners and on the wrong side of the civil rights movement, they were also often Christians who resolved the tensions. So it was the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. So I wanna be real careful what we say about social justice. Let me just put it this way. Social justice and all forms of justice ought to be the outcome of the gospel, but it's not the heartbeat of the gospel. The heartbeat of the gospel is not our justice. It's God's justice. It's the justice God demonstrated in becoming human and Jesus taking our sins upon himself and then releasing us from the burden of our sins. And then our taking that good message that God releases anyone who comes to him through faith in Jesus. God releases them from their sins and their guilt, taking that message out. Once we're liberated from the bondage of sin, social justice ought to be a real obvious um demonstration of the fact that we're now in God's kingdom. We now have a new king. We have a, we live in a new a world, a world of grace, a world of justice, and a world of mercy. So we want to be careful when we talk about social justice, but we do need to make it clear. If it replaces the gospel, um, then then let me tell you what will happen. If, when social justice replaces the gospel, you won't get the gospel, but you also won't get justice.
1: How if, would you if, Explain what 20th, you
2: mean by that. The 20th century is... As much evidence, it's a it's a hundred million murders that prove justice without Christ always becomes injustice. So if you want to know, if, I mean, if you want to know what social justice looks like when you remove Jesus from the equation, you, it's not you don't have to guess. It's not like you have to invent a theory. All you have to do is look at um, you know Pol Pot and the Khmer Rouge in the 1970s. They they murdered one fifth of the entire nation in the name of social justice. They removed Jesus suddenly the need for social justice was stronger than the love for humans, so they were willing to murder a million, million a half, two million people. Uh, uh, you know, it, it, the Soviet Union was built on workers' rights, on social justice, and before it was over with, Joseph Stalin murdered, nobody even knows how many, 10 million, 15 million, maybe 20 million people, so that they could have social justice. The greatest injustices in history, uh, Mao Zedong, who, who literally deliberately starve to death 50 million Chinese people in the name of social justice. These are demonstrations of what happens if you don't keep Christ at the core. So social justice is not only important, it's, it's work for the kingdom, but it must be done with Jesus and the gospel at the core, or it will always go off the rails.
1: That's good, David. Uh, okay, David Hunziger, why don't you jump in here, and uh, can you tell me what your reaction is first to this. And then secondly, why would people be attracted? Uh, We've just gone through it in a way that seems very unattractive to me, uh, but I think we're missing some stuff. So jump in and tell us your reactions to it and then help us to understand why it's attractive. Okay,
0: Uh, first of all, David, that's a hard act to follow. Uh, Really good stuff and I hope you write a book on it or something sometime soon. But I wanna say this, one of the things, when you talk about feelings in that section, you know, feelings often trump fact. It's really a feeling that comes up time and time again, and it's fear. And David touched on this, but um, the fear is, I don't want to oppress somebody. The fear is, I don't want to exclude, I don't want to push somebody down. Um, that, that's, a, that's the fear that often will surface, and then facts are questioned in light of it. You know, I was, uh, I was telling David earlier, I was in the car with the man this week, and uh, we were driving down the road just talking about really basic principles of the scripture. And uh, he, he said, you don't understand, we have not just been wrong as the church in the past, but when the church is wrong, people are oppressed. Um, and, and so there's a fear. I, I can see it surfacing in him when he was speaking of, uh, his fear was, and I'm, I'm quoting, I'm confident that the next generation will look back and say, wow, how were you so wrong on the oppression of homosexuals? How, how are you so wrong on the, you're on the wrong side of history the whole time uh, on the transgender debate. And so the, the feeling is fear and I felt it. I referenced earlier, you know, when I I left and studied the Bible that next year, I felt great bits of fear. Actually in April of 2013, I decided I was going to have to challenge it head on. And my fear was at what, point? where's my space? Uh, where's my voice in this? How am I going to be able to uh, proclaim a message that the culture is even able to accept and understand? And I gathered books like Gates of Splendor, uh, Voice of the Mart- Martyrs I Am In, I read about the deaths of the apostles, I uh, read about Stephen Stoning in Acts 7, and then this verse in Philippians, because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. And I waded through each of the stories of people who have, who've given it all up, asking myself the question, what is it that they knew? What confidence was it that they had to willingly stand on the wrong side of history? Uh, because in in every death it's, you look back and the culture has quote unquote moved on. And, uh, and now you have to wrestle, wrestle with what was it that they had and where was the confidence coming from? Um, so really was he was working through the list. One of the reasons, and I'm not going to say it's the only, but it's a short list. I keep coming back to David Young, is uh, he exudes a confidence about about the scripture. So when we, we get to partner together in ministry, and that's honestly what, what millennials, young ministers are looking for here. Because fear is, the, is, is what surfaces. It's the emotion that surfaces and that redirects the way that we want to read and redirects the way we want to speak about the, the truths of the scripture. Confidence is, is needed. Is what we're looking for, a leader to emerge, a voice, a voice to be able to say without waiver, this is the way you can be confident in it to
1: help subside the fear. So uh, let me just jump in on the fear. Can you describe the fear more? Like what I heard you saying earlier is there's a fear that maybe I'm going to be oppressing people, that I'm on the wrong side of history when it comes to homosexuality or, Hmm. or you mentioned transgender or other issues. The fear is that I'm going to look back and say that I was wrong uh, or that I hurt people articulate that fear just a little more clearly, please.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's, it's been, it's the fear of being able to look back and say, or actually it's the legacy generations hence look to look back and to say, why was, why was grandpa on the wrong side of that argument? And in the, in the car ride, the man stops, looks me in the eyes and says, you don't understand. I was in the churches when the race issue was, uh, you know, you aren't to date interracially. You're not going to marry interracially. Scripture was being used. So he's 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 looking me in the eyes with great fear to say, I don't want to be that. You know, I don't want in time for somebody to look back and say, how would you have used the scriptures that way? And the legacy being left of he was part of the oppress the oppressor, uh, oppressors. And so I understand it. And and part of, you know, a story that comes to my mind, I was gathering with some people at a shelter. And we're praying, praying for, for some of the women at the shelter, the homeless shelter. And a lady from across the way saw me praying with some of her friends. And uh, there were other people with me from, uh, from the ministry, from the church. And she came over and said, could I, could I join your circle? Absolutely. And she just immediately dumped a story on, on us as gathered around. She said, you know, for 26 years, I've been wrestling with, am I a man or am I a woman? Okay. And now I'm watching faces and fewer people are talking. Right Fewer people are wanting to now speak up and engage at all, and she says, and honestly, I'm asking this year to put the the uh the timeline on it this year to make the decision before the year's over, I'm going to make the decisions. I'm tired of carrying the weight and she looked at me and she said, uh, what do I do there's the fear the fear is if if I say something that's oppressive, first of all or offensive that's the, that's what the culture jumps at the quickest, even though we have Um, murder, babies being killed in abortion. It's a fence that social media will jump on. It's a fence that the media will, will, will will rise up and say, you've offended this lady. So I said to her, I said, yeah, it's a big question. It's a worldview question. And it's, you know, it's a big question, which is why it's been a weight on your shoulder for 26 years. So I took her, uh, to Genesis one and two. And I said, would you be willing to read these and discover for yourself what you learn about God, where we came from? Because you're, you're asking a worldview question, we need to have some footing on this. But I'll be honest, um, after the study, and I'll tell you how it turned out, there were people that came up to me and said, I was afraid to say anything, fearful that I'm going to be the one on this on the wrong side of this, that I don't know what to say. So anyway, we go through Genesis
1: 1 and 2, and I'm asking her, what do we learn about God, about people? Yeah, and she, and David, let me stop you again, just because I, I think it's really important that we identify what the fear is <clears throat> so before you go on so yeah. the fear is not just i'm going to be on the wrong side of history the fear is also that like in the case of this uh uh woman um it was a woman right yes in the case of this woman that uh she would be hurt uh by by the words that we said that's another fear correct yeah exactly and and beyond that so her being hurt us being uh,
0: the the ones who caused the wound, the reflection that that has on the church, you know, when when you when you're the one who's leading that discussion and all its woundedness around you, yeah, the great fear is first of all for her, not to see her any more wounded than she is. She's obviously very weighed down. Um, and then the the second, what well, what are the ramifications of this? Because this yeah. is going to come back and and it's not going to look good when the culture does not see offense. Uh, does, does, obviously doesn't want to see offense. So,
1: yeah, hey. Yeah. I mean, By the way, let me just jump in here because it's so um, um, just maybe providential that you're bringing this up. A week from tonight at 8 o'clock, Thursday night, next week, we are interviewing and doing a webinar with Brandon Riddler, who lived as a woman, actually had a sex change, and lived as a woman for six years. Uh, And then uh, a group of women discipled him. He became a follower of Jesus, and he made the decision to go back. And live as God made him, which is as a man. After he would had the sex change, he's a part of Renew Network. He's he's going to be speaking for us. So a week from uh, tonight, uh, I'm just going to go ahead and mention it. You want to join the webinar that we're having then? But uh, David, jump back in and tell us how the story was resolved.
0: Sure. So we were going through the Discovery Bible study in, in the early parts of the Bible, Genesis one and two. She's saying things. You know, God is is the ultimate creator. She, out of her own mouth, said. God created intentionally, he created male and he created female. And uh, we get to some statements on what, what does this mean for your life and how will this help you with your ultimate decision? Again, tears. And she said, I'm going to choose not to shame my creator and uh, have a sex change. And so at this point now there's a lot of people getting more comfortable, less and less fear because it's like, we're sharing the worldview. She's not uh, wounded or offended by the discussion at all. But uh, you know, I tell that story. Because the, what happened after, too, we gather, we pray, so many people, and this isn't me setting myself as a hero at all, but so many people come around me and say, oh, what did I could, how could I have said anything? I was so afraid to say anything, or even her friend saying, I didn't I didn't know what to say, and I, she's been asking me, and I just don't know what to say. And I know it's fear. And, and so I know why Paul would say, as he does in Philippians 1.14, when I step out, and even poor, bad ramifications come to me, or so it seems, it, it gives courage. It instills courage. Boy, that's and, good.
1: Yeah, yeah. absolutely. No, thank you so much for sharing that. Uh, David, I want to turn to you. And if you could, please, I'd like you to talk to us a little bit about your experience at uh, Vanderbilt, sort of going in with an open mind in more of a progressive environment. But before I switch to you, um, David Young, David Hunziger, you described it as fearing that I'd be on the wrong side of history fearing that I would hurt somebody. I want to ask you this, because I think if we're honest, this is bigger than we usually talk about, but we're fearful that people will think we are intolerant and judgmental. Absolutely. That That is correct. And that, um, in
0: a sense, this is the language that comes up time and time again, that that we're behind uh, culture, and that our intolerance is stopping what would be great wave that there would be progress that there would be some freedom uh, allowed for people that that we're somehow in
1: the way of um yeah out of intolerance is how it's perceived absolutely okay i want to come back uh let's come back and talk about tolerance but uh, david young talk to us a little bit about i know because you and i have talked about it and because as david hunziker uh, alluded to i have read an advanced copy of your book on this topic uh you talk about going to Vanderbilt with an open mind, but then realizing the bankrupt nature of more of a progressive and liberal
2: uh, view of things. So I was admitted into the New Testament program in 1986. Four of us were admitted. Well, four regulars and then one uh, alternate who dropped out. Um, And in the New Testament program, and then the Hebrew Scriptures program, I don't know how many students there were total, but I, several dozen probably. To my knowledge, I was the only evangelical at the time when I went in. And I was uh, I was a little foolish, I think, because I was willing to risk um, my, m- pretty much everything in my faith uh, for the education. And I, w- I did go in with an open mind. I went in assuming that I was going to learn why everything I had grown up with was wrong. And I, I want to say a few things I learned. I did learn, first of all, that there are... Um, that so i know the scriptures are perfect but my understanding of them is not and there are a lot of problems with the scriptures and we really have to be honest with that because if we're not honest with that then we set ourselves up for a great disappointment um you know there are tensions in the scriptures that are difficult to resolve there are uh some of the violence of the hebrew scriptures for example that's a tough it's a tough issue for everybody um there so so there are these were highlighted for me when I got there and I didn't want to just dismiss them and say, no, 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 I'm a fundamentalist and, and we fundamentalists don't look at things like that. Um, so I was forced to be a, a lot more honest with scriptures. But what I began to notice um, over the course of several years was that a lot of the um, the problems that I had with scriptures and that others had were oftentimes, um, they really weren't that big of problems. They were highlighted because we did. I don't mean to be harsh on anybody, but we didn't want to follow the scriptures. We we didn't want them to be true, and so anything we found in Scripture that we could drive a wedge uh, between it and us, we really pounded hard on that wedge, Um, essentially because we already, we knew what we wanted life to be, and if the Bible got in the way, it had to be dismissed. At some point, I really began to notice that um, a lot of the critical theories that, that we not only learned but eventually would teach, I taught over at the Divinity School, were just, Theories and not even really well thought out theories, oftentimes, and oftentimes they were angry theories. Um, and again, I don't want to, I don't want to just paint everybody with the same brush. But I was shocked at how much anger and uh, really almost rage characterized the the progressivism and the liberalism that I experienced there. Um, it just seemed as though um, so many people on the program were just they were just angry. They were angry at the church, angry at um, God angry at the Bible, angry at themselves, angry at their parents. There was a, just a real anger, uh, rage going on behind a lot of it. And it always struck me as odd that, um, there could be so much rage on the one hand. And, and yet this was the movement that was preaching tolerance and acceptance and love. And that, that inconsistency eventually led me to see that, um, there are real serious problems with progressivism, deep problems with progressivism. That may not be the answer you're looking for, but I'm telling you, I'm telling you how I got there. Yeah. Or maybe I'm giving you a big, big version of, it. let me give you one example. So I had to do, um, so the, at that point in the PhD, we had to have four foreign languages. You had to master four foreign languages. By the way, they weren't part of your program. You had to do that on the side. Then I was also working on, uh, because I was doing rhetoric in the New Testament, I had to learn sp- Spanish as well. So I'm doing five languages, French, German, Hebrew, Greek, and Spanish. And then we were getting ready to plant a church in Russia, so I was learning Russian on the side. And we were, um, I I was, um, part of my program was to take classical Greek, which was very different from New Testament Greek. So I'm sitting in a classical Greek course. Uh, I've got whatever it is, six languages, and now I'm having to learn the seventh. And I was really irritable about it. I'm in the class with a lot of classical students, so Greek and Latin students. And I made some tacky remark about Homer And one of the students looked at me and he said, "Uh, you religion guys ought to be thankful to study with us. Here's what he said. He said, if we treated our books the way you guys in the religious program treat your books, we'd all get drunk and go home. (laughs) And man, it really stuck with me because what he was saying is you just mistreat your books because you don't like them. And he said, we love our books and we understand our books. And and I really think that was a turning point for me. It was from that point forward, I began to see that a lot of the rage I saw, it was not really, um, they they weren't, the rage was not based on problems with the scripture. The rage was a rage against the way life is. And uh, the scriptures had to go down because they appeared to be part of the way life is.
1: David, it almost sounds like you're describing, uh, and and if they were here, they would probably, well, I don't know if they would object to it, but it almost uh, appears, and it is, that you're describing they had a bias and almost a
2: rebellious spirit against the things of God. Uh, that's what I think I saw, but but some of it was, uh, think about this, um, so I, I wanna be real general on how I say this, but uh, one of the one of my colleagues had been raped. She had been told by her pastor at her church you know, that it, that it was her fault. Somehow she'd been led to think that. Um, then she had gone on to do graduate studies before she came to Vanderbilt. And her graduate studies exposed her to problems when, in scripture. As I said, there are problems. She went back to her pastor who would tell her, don't ask those questions, leave it alone. And at some point, um, the dissonance in her heart just made her angry. The Bible can't be true. So I, I want to speak about it with some compassion because I see how she got to where she got. Um, but what I want to say, and what I, what I did try to say oftentimes was, you know, don't, don't, don't blame Jesus. Don't blame God. Don't blame the scriptures. Don't blame the great creeds of the Christian faith. Just blame the fact that all of us. I mean, it's, what, what is easier to prove than original sin? Nothing is easier to prove that than the fact that all of us are prone to sin. And so what I would say is this is not the fact that the Bible, this is not evidence of the Bible's shortcomings. It's evidence of our shortcomings. So yeah, yeah, there was a lot of rage. And I think, I think that story in some version or another repeated itself many times. People would go, they would get to graduate school. They would suddenly realize that the, what they had learned in Sunday school wasn't exactly right and they couldn't handle it. And so they rebelled. And now you're, you know, in my case, you're $150,000 into an education. You can't throw it away. It's like, you know, when my, PhD in New Testament, I'm not going to be an accountant. And uh, no one's going to hire me to do engineering work. I'm going to have to do religion now. So yes. I just became, a I just become, I could, I didn't, I don't think, a cynical, angry religion professor who hates the thing that once grew me in. Okay, so what, what's that, what that is really helpful for
1: um, is to see where a lot of religious teachers in secular universities and churches um, You know, uh, I had a similar experience, uh, spent a summer at Princeton Theological Seminary, very much a similar experience. So it describes what goes on in a lot of the seminaries and educations and state religion courses and all that. But most of our churches and most of our people are not being tempted to go that far yet. So David Hunziker, jump in. And talk to me about what is a temptation. Bobby, your last half of the question cut out a little bit. Can you say that one more time? Sure. Um, what I was saying is that uh, what David Young described is sort of the full-blown progressivism or liberalism, and uh, was wanting you to – because I don't think most people wake up one day and they say, I want to be like that. But it's there's things gnawing, like we were talking about with the fear and things like that. Help us to see through your eyes – why people are drawn to progressive christianity okay thank you for restating
0: it so first of all going back to uh, to fear they're drawn to it it's, a, it's an answer to that feeling it's a way to to cope and to get out and really you know we talk about reframing his, uh, historical biblical terms that have always been framed a certain way take sin for instance one of the ways to get out of the the gripping fear of being an offense to your culture is to just replace it with the word mistake And to to soften the meaning of the language of sin. And so it's not a full-blown, we're leaving, um, you know, the the, the Christian teachings or we're leaving the Bible. But what we're going to do is cope with our fear by saying things like mistake, uh, saying things, uh, you know, where, where we see love, as David already talked about. That would encompass anybody the way that they are without the need for repentance. Take that word, repentance. And uh, where, where you see it taught as a turning of lifestyle, now, now most of the time, those who have championed the reframing of that whole context are, are willing to bring anybody in for an extended period of time for them to have major influence on the gathering, major influence on the church, and no ramifications, no repentance actually required, no repentance, uh, you know, no one held accountable uh, for those things. And so... Best I can tell, that just softening of the underbelly, softening of the message is a way to stay within it without totally leaving, as David Young has described. Just cope with your fear by by softening language is uh, is one of the big ways. It's not the only way, but it's one of the big ways I'm seeing.
1: Okay. (laughs) Let me ask you this. Why would people bother with it? It just seems like you got to be wrestling inside yourself with this isn't really what it says. Yeah, you do and uh that's unsettling it's
0: unsettling i've, I've been there and I, I remember that's why i grabbed the books where i, I started digging deep why do people die for this because it's there's a great tension when you're reading the bible and there is radical transformation in people's life under the authority of king jesus and i by the way i'm i'm a big fan of renew network language you know we come back to that time and time king jesus you can't read that night in and night out or day in and day out and hold fast to softening what what Jesus is ultimately wanting to accomplish so to change sin to mistake for instance and then to in your room read that he calls every city that he goes to actually has the 72 lead with repent for the kingdom of God is at hand and that there was accountability in that because he followed up with Chorazin and he said you know there will be judgment for for, for not repenting what you seen." there's a great amount of tension and so really what we find is people who will just put the book down and gather with Christians, uh, quote unquote, if you're listening and not have the book, not center around the book, not preach around the book, because the book, the Bible ultimately drives that tension and continues pressing the tension. And so it's, you know, it'd be a sermon series with, with a verse maybe. Um, but, but you, you gotta drop the reading of the Bible. It's just not central to the meeting of the Christians. It's not central to the daily habits. Um, in the softer version uh, where progressives are on the way out.
1: Oh, that's good. Now, uh, you mentioned this earlier, and if you could, I'd like you to come back to it about uh, being in relationship with David and how that's been so helpful. As you know, we started Renew Network. Uh, one of the reasons that we're um, on this journey is because we want to uphold and renew the teachings of Jesus with boldness, with confidence, with confidence. We're using this, this, uh, these two words together: uh, convicted civility, where we want to hold to our convictions to be kind, uh, to uphold grace and truth, uh, mercy and righteousness, love and holiness. Um, so, uh, one of the things I'm persuaded of is uh, there are need. There's a need for good examples. So, um, talk to us about how you're finding that uh, in a lot of the things. Uh, at North Boulevard and with David. Okay, so I'm going to go back a little bit in time
0: where myself and two other young guys who are interested in ministry, young ministers, were meeting at, uh, actually I can I can say this because we've already said it publicly. His name is Owen. We were meeting at Owen's house and we began praying for a Paul-like figure because we were seeing the fear uh, amongst us even, the fear amongst those in you know, our age bracket of how do you go forward with this message? And what is it that we cling to? Do we know we're in the right? And so on and so forth. So we wanted to, we, we were really praying that God would reveal that to us. And um, not kidding, a few weeks into doing that, you know, there's a Sunday where David grabbed us and said, Hey, I'd like to meet and have breakfast with you and, uh, and be in a disciple in group together. And uh, since that time, one of the more memorable times actually happened outside a group. And if you promise not to get a big head, David, I'm going to tell a, a brief story about you, where in the middle of a sermon, David told in the Bible, and he just said to the congregation, I won't do this exactly right, but he said to the congregation, if I'm the last one standing, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach this book. And if, I, if there's somebody at the back door that comes in to try to convince me otherwise, I'm going to preach this book. If they drag me away, I'll be preaching it as they drag me away. And it, it's those moments where I think we can't have too much of that, of, of the, the Paul-like moments where he says, I instilled courage. And now the people speak the gospel without fear. And, you know, I come back to this verse. You just can't have too much of it. What we're looking for as young ministers are people with that conviction and courage to instill and to trickle that down. And as you said, to do it with, with gentleness. Uh, So help us to understand how do we proclaim such a bold message and be filled with grace and be be filled with, with love as it's truly defined. Um, And he's done that. I mean, he's been a, been a a champion for it. And so uh, without getting a big head, I don't, I don't think that that's going to happen here, but uh, I'm excited to be able to say I'm partnering with somebody that's quite literally going to preach it even if he's drug away. But he's got such confidence in the word of God and the clear reading of the word of God that I don't have to wrestle with it as much uh, since being beside him.
1: That is powerful. Thank you uh, for being willing to share that. And uh, David Young, thanks for being that kind of guy. Now, uh, as we're holding up that vision, actually, David, I'm going to ask you to to describe. See, what David Hunziker just described is why we created Renew Network. And uh, we have right now, uh, you know, an increasing number of uh, spiritual leaders, men and women, who are saying, sign me up. I want to stand by the truth of Scripture I want to honor King Jesus. In fact, we, uh, uh, one of the guys I was working with yesterday, said, the real expression is he's Lord of Lord and King of Kings. <laughs> but David talk to us about why this is our time and why we've got to take these stands now.
2: I will. But I, before I do that, I, I, I can't help but just say to David, man, what a joy you guys have been in my life. You and Owen and Russell. Y'all I, I'm telling you when, when I'm, if I get to live to be 85 and I'm rocking on the front porch, I'm going to look back on ministry and I'm going to think that was the sweetest time of my ministry is the time I spent with you guys. Um, so, uh, so the question is, why is this our time? And the answer is because uh, even 20 or 25 years ago, uh, progressivism wasn't a great temptation for Bible-believing Christians. I'm going to use that term because evangelicalism, uh, the word has a lot of baggage, and, and I really mean something bigger than evangelicalism. So um, there are Bible-believing Christians scattered throughout the denominations, including non-evangelical denominations. You know, charismatic and holiness, Roman Catholic. Uh, but now, uh, in the West, at least, in North America, as the Christian faith is sort of the, the, the middle is dropping out of the Christian faith, cultural Christianity is in decline, and um, people are really having to make a decision. What, we're gonna, what are we going to do with this faith? The pressure is really on us now. To compromise the faith and to conform to look like the dominant culture around us, and um, and a lot of progressivism can use the same language as Orthodox Christianity and Biblical Christianity. It can use a lot of the same themes, the themes of love and of justice, the themes of mercy. Um, you know, uh, all of these themes are—they're the siren song. They just—they're so attractive to hear. Um, But it can be deadly because a lot of times when we hear this from our culture, they do not mean what Jesus means. And um, ultimately, they'll take you away from what Jesus means. And the pressure's on. I do think that this is, um, you know, this is our time to make the decision. We're at sort of our rendezvous with destiny moment. And if if we fail at this moment, then North America will soon be no different from Europe. And that is the Christian faith, it really won't survive. Uh, there, there are a number of statistics. Um, it's shocking. I just read an article. I think um, I don't. I get so many feeds now. I, it may have been First Things uh, magazine by uh, Rusty Reno. who's a fantastic guy and a great journal as well. Um, Catholic Journal on, on culture and Christianity. Um, I think it was them that now the Episcopal Church is down to something in the vicinity of six or seven hundred thousand people in North America on any given Sunday, which which is. I mean, it is a startling spiral of uh, membership. They're they're literally dying before our eyes. The same with the PCUSA, even the UMC. At one point, the United at one point one out of every three Americans was a Methodist. One out of every three. The number today is fewer than three percent. They're in a total freefall. I'm not against them. I'm, that's not my point. My point is to say when we go progressive, the very next step. You don't have to guess, Bobby, you're from Canada. Uh, you know, what? you see what happened in Canada. It's happened in Europe, and now it's beginning to happen in the United States, which means, again, that this re- em- this remarkable, wonderful treasure that's been handed to our generation, uh, it's in the balance, whether it'll survive or not. And I, I want to say this because if you're in a church and, and your lead preacher or your lead pastor is starting to say things that, you just recognize wow this really is not going back to scripture you're hearing the things that alicia describes you need to realize that there's a there's actually you don't have to predict where it's going to end you don't have to predict we know where it's going to end it's going to end in disaster uh when our christian schools began to have faculty members who or guest speakers or lecturers who are really condoning things that that really really are outside the framework of king jesus the kingdom of God and the sacred scriptures. We don't have to guess where that ends. It's not like we have to wonder what's going to happen. We have we have literally scores of universities that started out as Christians. We know where it ends.
1: Yeah, that's the thing that blows my mind. Is the stats are so clear, and you don't have to guess this. As- yeah, yeah. yeah it, it as we've talked about before. <clears throat> progressives think they're building an on ramp to the faith so no. that they can. Uh, you know, watered down so that more liberal-minded people will join. Instead, they're building an exit ramp uh, by which people leave the faith. And yeah. the, the, as you mentioned, I grew up in Canada. You know, in the early 1960s, a higher percentage of Canadians attended church, like 60% of Canadians attended church every week. Now, you know, there's a debate about the exact numbers, but somewhere around 7%. And most of those are gray hairs. So yeah. uh, we, uh, our time uh, is drawing to a close. So, David, um, let me ask you, if you would, please, because something happened in, in David Hunziker's story. You decided to invest in him in a discipling relationship uh, where he got close to you and got to know you. And uh, when I said what Renew is about, we're re- about renewing the teaching of Jesus for disciples and disciple-making. right? Um, my big fear is this is not the old story of just more of a biblical teaching. It's biblical teaching applied the way Jesus teaches us, which is in discipling relationships. So talk about that and talk about um, how Renew Network is going to be really right. uh, promoting that and and why, t- to be just bold, why it's so important that people join with us in this cause.
2: So let me say, uh, actually, we, we hesitate to do this webinar because we don't want to be known for the things we're against. We want to be known for what we're for. But you, sometimes you have to draw the line and say, this is, this is how far we can go. What we're for is making disciple-making the main thing. That's what we're for. Because when you make disciples of Jesus, then you, you rule out all other missions, when, when, if you'll stick to that mission, that our job is to make disciples of Jesus of all nations. If you will not lose sight of that mission, keep a laser focus on that mission, then you won't be tempted to go back into traditionalism. You won't you won't go off into progressivism. You don't have armchair theologians or mere church members or wh- whatever it is. You will you will have what the early church had, what Alan Hirsch calls this. What does he call it? Apostolic? Uh, DNA. now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's what you have when, when disciple making is your main thing. So what Renew is about is connecting people of any tribe who want to go back to the best, the strongest, the central core teachings of the scripture for the purpose of making disciples of Jesus. And that's the only reason that we care about scripture. I mean, we care about the word of God, but scripture is a tool for us, but it's a tool designed to get us disciples of Jesus. And so it's not, the, the scriptures are not the end result. They're just the tool. The end result is when the whole world has an opportunity to become like Jesus. And so we wanna invite, it doesn't matter to us what denomination you're in, doesn't matter what, you know, what your tribe is and all, um, we, we want you to, to be part of what we're doing. We honestly believe that not only is this a very dangerous time for the people of God, but this may actually be our finest hour. This may be the time we see real heroes and real champions, uh, real legends, maybe even real martyrs rise up. And if you recall, every time the church gets pushed, it becomes stronger. And we're in a position now really to become as strong as we've been in North America in 200 years. So this could be a fantastic time. If if you're watching internationally, um, especially so Bobby and I, we're, I don't know how you all, Bobby, you're older than I am. I'm 57. What (laughs) we realize is that we can help. I got you beat by three years. Is that right? Are you 60? Yeah. I kind of thought that, but I wasn't sure. I didn't want to say it. (laughs) So Bobby and I, guys like us, uh, we can help with funding. We can help with sort of laying down some framework. But at the end of the day, it's men and women who don't look like us, who can take this message and do something really awesome with it. And we want to empower you, guys like David Hunziker. We want to empower you and equip you. And, and put you out on the field and, and cheerlead you and clap and watch you take it across the end zone, which, which you will do.
1: That's right. Hey, um, let me ask, uh, Jason Henderson, if you can put up on the screen, uh, the promo for the renew gathering October 24th, uh, I was telling Jason earlier today, we have this killer gathering, this one day gathering, David Young will be speaking at it. We have, uh, these other people speaking at it. And, uh, like 16 people from Jim Putman to Shadonke Johnson, who's leading a disciple making movement in West Africa, quarter Uh, of a million people, quarter of a million, 58% are ex Muslims. Uh, So we want to encourage you to join with us. And uh, uh, you know, it's the public launch uh, of Renew Network. David's uh, book on progressive Christianity. We're going to make it available starting that day uh, and a lot of other great things. So David Hunziger. In the last few minutes that we have left, um, I would like for you to speak to us as church leaders uh, about why these things are so important that you've been sharing with us. And maybe give us a last word of exhortation and encouragement before we close our time out.
0: All right, let me start with this. There's a comment that just came in on the right side of my screen. says, Julie Young, that David Young is such a cutie. So I needed to say that before I I said what I was going to say next. Uh, I just want to take ministers who are able to hear this, who are listening to this back in time, to the first time that you encountered God in the word. You were reading the scriptures. You were hearing the scriptures. And at some point, it went right through your heart and you realized this has cut me in two and it it didn't mind that it did it jesus words didn't didn't really seem to mind that it had cut you right in the heart you're right in the heart let's go back to those moments and then the moments following where you turn on the lamp beside your bed and you're just reading the word of god or you're you're eating breakfast and it's beside you and you you, you can't stop putting down the word because of all that it says and what it means and the truth that you found in it back back in the beginnings don't don't lose it because a, a quote-unquote scholar is now questioning things that, that you knew is true. And don't, don't find fear to see the same thing happen in another person's heart, where it goes straight through and it cuts them in two. It did it for you. It, I'll never forget when it did it for me. And how it has time and time again. So to see that happen is a beautiful thing, and could be the makings of a, of a minister like yourself, if, or, or a young minister. Uh, as we watch that happen. So hold fast to the Word of God that you love, keep the lamp on beside the bed and, and, and read the book that you that you love. and trust the clear reading of the Word of God. Let the Holy Spirit be your guide, the Word of God be the teacher. And uh, let's, let's be courageous. if you're if you're an older minister, instill courage in any way you possibly can into younger ministers. The courage of even if you're alone, even if you're alone, the great cloud of witnesses will be with you. The triune of God will never leave your side. Jesus, who said, go make disciples, says, I will be with you always. So your audience might not be a, a large number of people, but it's the greatest uh, in
1: Jesus Christ. So instill courage, hold fast to the word of God. That's, that's what I'll wrap up with. Oh, that's awesome. Well, thank you so much, David Hunziger. Thank you, David Young. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. God Thanks, bless. Jeff.
0: Thanks for listening to another Renewed Church Leaders podcast. We hope you'll join us again as we continue to apply the teachings of Jesus to hard topics and current cultural issues. We'll see you next time.